This season of Feminist Frequency Radio, we're bringing our feminist media criticism live to video. That's right. If you would like to see us as well as hear us talk about all things cyberpunk, you can do that at youtube.com slash feminist frequency. The audio quality on the videos are not quite as good as you get from our professionally edited podcast, but you do get to see our shining faces. So, you know, your call. We also have live video of all our bonus episodes with our special guests, which are only available to patrons. So get in on that fun at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now enjoy the show. Hey y'all, you know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also, fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. But it was also in a church? Yeah. That is a Canadian filming budget thing. Like they, <laughs> the totally production right. manager was probably like, uh, I know you want an arena full of people, but we can give you for free a little church. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada, capital A, capital P. And this season, we are playing a high stakes <laughs> virtual reality game of biomechanical engineering. In other words, we're watching cyberpunk tech and hacking movies to see how Hollywood attempted to put the World Wide Web, capital W's, in all of those <laughs> on screen. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. The new millennium. This is amazing. Will bring a new experience. How do you fit all that in your head anyway? I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. This is going to be fun, Terry. Who is this? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Mozart's Ghost, the hottest band on the internet. This week, we watched Existence. And while you may think that sounds like an off-brand male enhancement supplement, it's actually a sci-fi film from David Cronenberg. The filmmaker, known for his work defining the body horror genre, like The Fly and Dead Ringers, made waves at the Cannes Film Festival this year with his feature, Crimes of the Future. Back in 1999, after interviewing Salman Rushdie for Shift magazine, Cronenberg reportedly came up with the idea of, quote, a fatwa against a virtual reality game designer. In existence, Jennifer Jason Lee stars as the designer of the titular game, kind of, leading a cast that includes <laughs> Jude Law, Ian Holm, Sarah Polly, Christopher Eccleston, and Willem Dafoe. There's an intimacy involved in playing existence that is beyond description. In the not-too-distant future, Allegra Geller has created the ultimate escape. The possibilities are so great. This is amazing. A parallel universe called Existence. Allegra, we need help. The only way I can tell if everything's okay is to play existence with somebody friendly. Are you friendly? Play with me. 
Joining us today is the wonderful actor, producer, and writer Christian Brune, known for his work in film and television, including The Handmaid's Tale, Murdoch Mysteries, and Snowpiercer. He's currently reprising his role as Donnie Hendricks, everyone's favorite dad, in the <laughs> podcast Orphan Black, the next chapter. Welcome to the show, Christian. Hey, thanks for having me. So we are recording this uh, the day after Father's Day. This is and correct. And you have this amazing mustache. It's, and so it's pretty full. Yeah. It's a full you're just like this mustache. Dad energy. And I'm around. wearing like a chambray shirt, which is kind of my look. And that doesn't <laughs> Very help Canadian. Yeah. 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 I like to yeah. wear sort of anything denim or denim like and uh, just showing up for this. Uh, also, thank you so much for letting me be on this Cronenberg ep- episode because because uh, he's he's a Toronto guy, so and so am I. So uh, I feel honored that Aren't I can, we all I can bring some Toronto insight to this uh, to this, of course. And and you know you've got good roots there as well. So uh, Canada represent on this episode. Yeah, I was curious because I'm the only non-Canadian in this discussion. Like how. <laughs> much of Cronenberg's like visual style, would you say is like, that's just normal for Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I would honestly say that it comes down to budget and that's a very Canadian filmmaking (laughs) issue. (laughs) That's fair. And like, I've only ever been to BC. So like maybe in Ontario, it just goes like shit just goes down like this. It's the country (laughs) gas station. And (laughs) we do have all those locales. This is true. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, people come to Canada to film because it's cheaper. You can afford, like, the American dollar goes so much further there. And there's tax credits and all this other stuff. I think in the late 90s, a lot of that stuff wasn't in place except for the, you know, the the difference in the dollar. So this is like coming to the end of an era of Canadian filmmaking before we get into kind of where we're at today, where technology is caught up. It's cheaper to shoot things on digital and everything looks much better. And, you know, he would have been shooting on film back then and, uh, you know, film is expensive. So, you know, it's like right at the tail end of an era that that is kind of hokey looking to kind of, I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, you know, this came out the same year as The Matrix. So, like, oh, it's, wow. it's kind of. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I, well, I think that's really interesting, right? But I think the Matrix had a the... much bigger budget, obviously, oh, and, and uh, 100%. better CGI. <laughs> this has uh, some yeah. some weak CGI, but it's of its time, so you know, there's that to account. Yeah, there's for. something there's something very specific, like low budget energy um, look in the '90s, right? Mm-hmm. That I think you're kind of tapping into here. I think Cronenberg really loves this sort of indie feel of, of, of mm-hmm. a lot of his films. And, and there's just like this sense of like, you know, you're watching a Cronenberg film when you watch one of his films, even in month, some of his higher budget stuff. So I don't know if it's like purely budget or if it's filmmaker or it's a marriage of both with this one. It's kind of hard to say. Well, I'm curious what everyone's relationship with Cronenberg is. Cause it's, he's such a specific, you know, he is the, like the body horror guy. So do you all like, are you into Cronenberg? Have you watched a bunch of his movies? What, you know, I think this is the first time we're all watching Extrasense for this. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah. First time. Yeah. I, I'm like the worst kind of experience with Cronenberg. I've only seen Eastern Promises and A History of Violence. So I don't feel like that's as like my sister, who's 10 years older than me. She was like, oh, my God, I can never watch another Cronenberg movie after seeing Dead Ringers. Like she has that experience with it. Um, and I mean, this 
I have to say, like, I dug it. It was very stupid, but it was also, like, so much fun that I was like, oh, I'm, <laughs> wait, I've seen The Fly. Okay. But anyway, I was like, I get this. I'm into it. Even having researched it, though, and to put, like, some information into the show notes, I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, this is from 1992. Like, there was no way when I realized it was from 99, I was shocked. But yeah, that's my Cronenberg touch point. Uh, for me, I, I totally agree. It does have this weird 1992 feel to it, and it's shocking that it's 1999. But uh, my experience of Cronenberg is pretty light as well. Even though he's a Toronto darling in the film scene, I've only seen a handful of his things and not a ton of his... A lot of his body horror stuff is earlier on in his career, and then he gets mm -hmm. more, I think, psychological I think the movie. I think the movie before this was Crash, or uh, Crash would have been something that I saw um, when it came out, and was very uh, confused and titillated by because I just didn't know what the hell was going on, but was so intrigued by it because I was just the right age of teenager to to just be confronted with with so much sex and violence on screen, and uh, and before that, of course, I had seen The Fly. Uh, and some of his later films as well, which are much more um, uh, grown up in feeling. But um, I had never seen this one. I've been wanting to see this one for a very long time. And so this gave me the excuse to. And I think I had my hopes up high about it. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was a so, little bit disappointed by yeah. it. Just a Yeah. Bit. Well, so, okay. I've never... so. Because Crimes of the Future it just came out, the local one of the local movie curators here in LA did a whole series of Cronenberg retrospective, um, American Cinematheque. And I only got to go to one of those films, which was The History of Violence. So I've only ever seen mm. The History of Violence. I've never seen any of his other movies. Um, and so I was, you know, like I was told that this is like a weird video gamey thing. Like I had a friend who was like, I think if you're going to watch any, like you should check this one out. So I was excited that we had this on the list. And let me tell you this movie, I was like, it was like this weird, like, it's so weird and joyous it, to watch it as someone who understands the video game industry and be like, oh, this is totally wild. Like, I, it, it does have all the body horror elements. And I was like, oh, that does kind of fit in with this myth, you know, the the mythology of the future VR and the metaverse and all of that kind of stuff. And so like this imagining of it, which does feel like an early 90s kind of energy, um, you know, as dumb as this movie is, it's kind of entertaining. It's yeah. definitely entertaining. I, I will give it that. Um, I, I was texting you, Anita, last night about it. And I was like, oh, I got to save this for the podcast because I was kind of fired yeah. up while I was watching it. But it had that energy of someone who had never played a video game before making a movie <laughs> about video games. Like I don't yeah. really picture Cronenberg sitting down and like really exploring video games. It was just the idea of video games that he riffed on. In my opinion, he might be a huge gamer for all I know. I saw, I saw a lot of reviews that were like, Cronenberg's never played a video game. And like, that's funny. And I think it's hilarious, but I also think it's not accurate. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the man. Um, but I think that there's like, I can't quite articulate why I like have a sort of defensiveness to that take, even though I think it's funny. And part of it is because it is taking, it's extrapolating the, like the core function of gaming, which is this sort of, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm going to 
caveat this, but this sort of like escapist fantasy where you get to go into these games and be these other people and be assassins and spies and like do all this stuff um, and take it into like, what if you were corporealized in that space, right? Which Mm. was, you know, uh, just a little bit of context here of there are two big waves of VR, right? Mm-hmm. One was in the 90s, um, which, you know, when we talk about, like, Johnny Mnemonic, we're going to, like, get into some of <laughs> that stuff that's in that space, right? So, like, you have this, like, huge wave of VR that kind of went nowhere. Yeah. It just flopped completely. And then about, like, five, six, seven years ago, um, VR exploded again, right? And partly because Facebook... Um, started Oculus um, and really infused just shit tons of cash into like making VR a thing. So VR is here, but it hasn't, it's not quite still like- Still hasn't taken uh, off in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, like it's still very into like, unless you're really into gaming, the headsets are expensive. They're kind of clunky. Yeah. Like it's a little bit awkward. So what I think is interesting here is that we are having this transition from- VR into metaverse. And what's so funny to me is that the metaverse is not a thing, but all of a sudden everybody is talking about it. Like even people that aren't in gaming or any of this, right? So so like you go to games conventions now and like everything is about VR and NFTs, right? Like that's just oh, like God. the new thing. Yeah. But the actual metaverse is this fantasy that these dudes with a lot of money are trying to make happen kind of based on these sorts of movies, right? Like they watched these movies and they're like, what if we did everything in the metaverse, right? What if someday the technology will develop enough so that it it feels comfortable to sit inside, right? Because you're not going to wear a headset. They're really uncomfortable. Um, And so I think there's something really interesting about this movie being a part of that legacy that's bringing us to today where like millions of dollars are being spent to help us leave this dystopian world that we're in and exist in this digital space. I I definitely think COVID was something that really benefited VR and pandemic like lockdowns because people are just like, I want to escape this reality. And that definitely helped push a lot of headsets as well. I picked one up over the pandemic and I've used it a bunch and I use it less and less and less because I just don't want to get all the stuff out and clear furniture out Mm -hmm. of the way and then get the headset on and stuff like that. And what I like but, about this- But what happens when it's just eyeglasses? I know. Right? And what I mean, happens when it's I'll like just yeah. in your retina, right? Right. <laughs> like when, when it's like a plug jacked into yeah. the back of your head, that's right? That's the thing. Like, I, I think that's what's so great about Cronenberg's version of it is he he finds a way to like sexualize it and make it about like penetration and, and body horror in his own weird way. But he also has this idealized version where you plug in it's a biometric, you know, connection and you can just lie there, but then exist in the world because it just taps into your nervous system and your brainstem and whatever and gets up in there. And then, you know, you feel like you're in the world. That's so easy and, and idealistic compared to like getting all this equipment out and blah, 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 blah. So he does, he definitely, I think does the, one of the best jobs of making it convenient for his characters to get into this video game. Well, I think and I, I'm not sure, I'm not the person to speak to, like, has Cronenberg played a video game? Although you sent me that letterboxed review you saw, Anita, like 10 minutes before we started recording that said he never had, to which I countered, but he's definitely eaten ass. And I do think that that is just worth noting. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about Cronenberg, it's like the first thing we talk about. Um, of course. But what's interesting to me about this movie, and I only watched it yesterday, I kind of wish I'd given myself a few extra days to, like, sit with it 
is everything that was so stupid in the moment. I do think the movie kind of answered for with yep. the, you know, reveal at the end and, you know, stuff where I was like, what is this accent work that's happening? It seems even too amateur for like these. Oh, yeah. Like, for, for Jude Law, who's already like been a big movie star or um, why does she not understand what's happening in this moment? Like if she's the designer, clearly we're in some sort of like sub reality. But what I think is really uh, compelling about this movie and even before watching it, I had seen this blurb that he was inspired by the fatwa placed against Salman Rushdie for the satanic verses. And I thought, all right, he has like a high concept and he's going to try to ap apply it to something that's topical and does it work? Does it not work? But watching it, I realized like he's just using the language of 1999 to explore themes that have been explored for generations. It's like this dreamscape reality, like dream versus reality thing that's been, you know, in literature forever. Uh, what is reality? And something I really liked about Christian, you were talking about the way they plug in and it's like really kind of seamless in this, in the way they're in that like hotel room is it just looked like they were like shooting up, like they had had right. a, a drug experience and now they're just kind of like, oh, I don't want to come out of this. Like, I want to just go back. Can't we just go back in? And I was like, this doesn't have to be about a VR video game. This is just about like when you escape reality and facing it again is difficult. Like this doesn't have to be a, a tech or a cyber movie. Um, but because it is, there's like a, a hilarity watching it in 2022. Um, but I'm curious, like, I, I actually want to read some reviews. Like, it seemed like barely positively received, except for the fact that it came out after The Matrix. <laughs> and right. So people were like, well, bullet time is the only thing we're ever going to do in movies yeah. ever again. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone's screwed after The Matrix. Like, it, that yeah. just <laughs> ruined everyone. Um, the sexual connotation is not an undertone, right? Like, it's very, she's like, you know, lubing up. Like yeah. they're both like licking and lubing up, and fingering and, and yeah. the whole thing. And um, I was just like, I rolled my eyes at all of that. Cause not that I'm like, part of me is like, fine, whatever. Like that's funny, I guess. But part of me was like, I wonder what this would be without that. Mm. Right. If it wasn't, a, if it, because that piece of it felt like the Hollywood glitz that you have to put on to tell the story. But I think that there's something interesting in and of itself of just the like jacking into these headsets and living in this world. And even like the in-game stuff, mm -hmm. which is related to the sexualization where like they're about to fuck and he's like, I don't want to do this, but I can't stop myself like yeah the character like being in the game the character forces you to do things which i also think is really interesting because in video games there you know people will talk about like open world games where you can do anything you want to do but like that's not true there are there are lots of games like they're all scripted and they're all programmed and there's a like, limited amount of options and like you kind of have to go into certain pathways and certain trajectories right and so i think there's something really interesting about like your physical body is being dictated by code <laughs> that is telling you what you have to do, right? So I think it's more interesting, like, sex in the game is more interesting than, like, sexual innuendo attached to um, the the actual components, right. like the controller and that sort of thing. Well, there's also a, a seeming 
loss of consent. Like if your character doesn't want to have sex, but it's in the code that your character ha- mm-hmm. has to have sex to progress the game, or that this is just something that's written into the DNA of the character and then it must, even though the, the controller, the person, I don't even know what to call them anymore. I mean, there's like avatars and controllers, but the person seemingly in control is not in control of their consent, which is, which is. Oh, or. They uh, just clicked through the t- terms true. of service real quick. <laughs> they they did that not way. read the, the fine print. Um, <laughs> yeah. Totally well, possible. This, this is like what Westworld, I didn't finish watching Westworld, but it, like the new Westworld approach this, which is like how once we really get to a design level or a level of technology where the lines are so blurred between what's the game and what's reality, like that's when we start to care about stuff like consent where I was, I I haven't ever played this game, but I was watching a streamer play Detroit become human. And it was like, sorry. Yeah. It's just a streamer I liked. And I was like, am I interested in watching this? And then I realized I wasn't, but um, the, it's so hard to care because they don't look like real people. They're just on the edge of the uncanny Valley and in like Westworld, you have that that question of like, well, are are these people? Do they count as real people? So in this, I think it's the same kind of question. Like, if these were sort of eight bit characters <laughs> that were ambling about, I don't think we'd care as much like who gets mm-hmm. shot or who's you know cut in half or whatever <laughs> happens to them. Um, but in- instead, it's re- it's reality. It really blends like. I don't think any VR has actually made anybody think they're really in it. The most advanced one is still not there. Right. Right. Although I will say that, like, there are some moments in VR that I, like, games that I played where, you know, you can, you're just in a space and, like, there's nothing in your physical space. But when you see a box in VR, you're like, oh, I can't. I have to walk around the box or like if you're if they're like heights mm-hmm. and like walking on a tightrope, you like there are, there is a very physical response oh, that yeah. comes from, <laughs> from that. Even so there it's, yeah. I, I was playing ping pong in VR with a friend of mine. We both had headsets on. We were in the same room, pretty much like the same distance you would be playing ping pong at. That's just us being dumb, but we were trying out the ping pong game. Uh, Cause he had just got his set and uh, we were, just amazed at how even the haptic response of the of the controllers made mm. it feel like you were actually hitting the ping mm. pong. And I just played real ping pong the other day and it felt exactly the same. Uh, and then I went, I, I was laughing about a shot I made and then I went to lean on the table and I fell right through the table and like, on <laughs> the ground. And I had forgotten that like, oh my God, this table isn't real. So yeah. you know, it does start to fuck with your perceptions of reality. Yeah, admittedly, the most advanced headset I've tried is Google Cardboard. So that's the old same. Although yeah. accessibility question, all three of us wear glasses. Like I don't have uh, binocular vision. Like I don't really have depth perception because of my eyes. Like I wonder if that would also be affected in a VR experience. You can get well, lenses that you put into the VR set that yeah. match your prescription, which I, if I played a ton of VR, I would totally invest in that. But I had the spacers put in so that I could fit my glasses. And I usually, yeah. like, these are big old chunkies. I need to like put on smaller glasses to like fit in there. And then they fog up a little bit or you get hot and sweaty doing VR and, yeah. uh, or at least I do. And, uh, and it's just always a pain in the ass. Like someone constantly. designed a game 
where I can catch a ball for the first time and it will blow my mind. <laughs> Don't worry. Absolutely. When we all jack into the mainframe, your yeah. vision will be perfect in our cyborg future. So, you know, we're, we're almost there. That's a good point. That's a uh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really interesting from the beginning was I don't know if you've ever been to a video game conference or ever seen like video game shows, but the the like the whole energy of um, oh Exorcist my God. by, yeah. by uh, who is oh it by uh, audience I've, or whatever? Uh, um, no antenna. Yeah, uh, Exorcist by antenna. Exorcist by antenna. I, I was just like, oh, you totally picked up on like the just like corporate branding that happens, but it was also in a church. In yeah. a church with a small amount of people. That's yeah, a budget and, thing. And that is a Canadian filming budget <laughs> thing. Totally like they, the production manager was probably like, uh, I know you want an arena full of people, uh, <laughs> but we can give you for free a little church with some over-enthusiastic extras. Of all ages. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So all ages, pretty diverse like, in terms of- couple grandpas in like, there. <laughs> yeah, who were like, yeah. antenna. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, I love that. Like yeah. as a representation of like people of all ages and all backgrounds game. But also like it's a, it's um, um, QA testing. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, um, not QA testing, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. a- What's the word I'm looking focus, for? Um, focus group. Focus yeah. group. Yeah. So like, so it had the energy of like a big stage performance, but it also was just like a couple people who are getting paid 50 bucks to like yeah. tell you, tell you what you think about the game. But that was in the game. But then later they had the, so that was in the game. So you could almost write that off as like a quirky in-game feature. But then when they plug out and they're doing like the Q&A afterwards, you realize, oh, no, they're still in the same space. And it's still just <laughs> yeah, it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that I was like, whoa, was that like the world's most famous game designer is a woman? I was like, fuck, yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, the whole 90s crimped hair thing. This is part of why it felt so 90s as well. It was just like the fashion and the aesthetic was pants. so... Uh, and just the like the clip-on crink like crimped hair, right? Yeah. That's just like the little pieces of it. Um, I like but to so imagine they crashed an AA meeting, and that that's why they were in church. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, yeah. if you can all stay an extra hour, it you'll get the fifty vibe. bucks. You'll get a Tim yeah. Hortons yeah. gift certificate. Oh, Tim nice, Hortons, nice, nice Canadian reference, well reference there. Thank you. Good Ten job. Points. Thank you. Ten Canadian um, points. So that's like I was going six to say, like American. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seven points. Yeah, you'll get one Timbit. That's that's what you'll get. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Um, but the cinnamon ones; those are always my favorite. Not a Bieber Timbit. I don't even want to know what that is. Bieber has uh, his own like line of Tim Hortons snacks now. Wow. Yeah, you you've been down here too long. I just came back from yeah. from there, and like he's got his own like they call it like Tim Biebs. Like it's like a Justin <sighs> Bieber Tim Hortons collab. Cat's googling this right now. <laughs> now <laughs> I would, but I have a. Uh, I was going to Google a thing to ask you about instead. I'm going to ask you about it even worse. But can, I, wait, I, I want you can to you make hold, your point. Uh, hold on. What is yeah. the? I want to talk more about female game designer representation. Yeah, yeah. Can is it okay? Is this related to Timbits? <laughs> no, it's, re it's related to like Canadian production. I do have a real question oh, about yeah, go, Canadian go. production. So this, I'm just curious if you've heard about this. So as I understand it, and Christian, you were talking about like this kind of end of the 90s, a little bit different, like previously what Canadian production was versus what it is now. As I understand it, it that was around the time that the government 
started funding production a lot more so that there would be at least 50% or 60% of content made would be Canadian production. And that was CanCon. So there's a lot of like um, incentives for that. But now this year, 2022, they're trying to extend that to digital content. (laughs) And so I'm curious if you've heard anything about this. Like I've only heard about this from like YouTubers who are saying theoretically it would be great if this was the sort of thing that would you know, um, help indigenous creators get seen more because they would have more opportunities, but trying to discern what is CanCon if you're like, if you're a streamer and you, and you aren't spending production budget in Canada, you're spending production budget with YouTube and like Google's mm-hmm. an American company. Like, I just don't know if you've heard anything about this. Cause I think this is a big this will be a big it's thing a big thing in it. conversation for sure within the industry. Yeah. I think CanCon is more concerned, or initially was more concerned with like the big streaming platforms like Netflix mm. and Amazon and and things like that. So that the reason we have CanCon Canadian content is so that we can promote Canadian artists and filmmakers, and uh, it's the reason like. Growing up in the '90s and, and in the 2000s, I have so much extra music knowledge of like all these artists that never made it to the States, but were promoted heavily in Canada because they were Canadian. And so the radio Mm. had to play a certain amount of music in support of Canadian artists, which was great because (laughs) tragically hip, which no American knows, but it was like one of the biggest bands ever. Huge bands. And then even like a ton of like pop hits and pop acts that you guys didn't get. Um, you know, I was listening to a friend's CanCon Spotify playlist the other day uh, and I was like, oh my God, all these bangers that I know all the, all the words to no American knows whatsoever, but these are awesome songs. And I, I fucking love them. And I, and I like, will listen to that playlist for, forever. Like I, I love that music. And it was because it was kind of force fed to us in Canada, mm. just so that we didn't have a complete um cultural like cannibalism exactly exactly which is which is how the u.s kind of spreads media and always has and and it's important to sort of protect your cultural identity a little bit against that um as much as the american stuff is great you know you want to you want to get some local artists going as well and that makes a, a healthier and robust um artistic community and the same goes for filmmaking and television so they're they're concerned with netflix having just a ton of content but not investing in Canada mm-hmm. and paying taxes on Canadian productions and, you know, helping support the system. And then looping YouTube into that, I think is maybe not the right thing to do. That should, I, I don't know enough about it. I haven't looked it up recently, but if it's all lumped into the same thing, that's, that's a little bit, I mean, where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line at TikTok? Do you draw the line at people making, you know, sketches that they put up on Instagram and stuff like that? Um, do you get uni- acting unions involved? Mm. It becomes a very tricky thing the lower the budget goes and the more sort of independent the producer goes. Um, and I don't know if we should be mixing in those smaller streams of revenue and content creation with like the big studios like Netflix and Amazon and things like that. Right. But I don't know enough of how much the bill that they're trying to pass in, in, in through the government is mixing all of that into one and just calling it digital. Yeah. I mean, I'm paying attention to it just because I think it's really interesting, but agree that like it's probably a minority of the creators that we're talking about that would be these types of like mm-hmm. streaming or. But it could be a big content. help, like you said, with indigenous creators, you know, it would be nice to see more of their content come across 
in the algorithm in Canada or something like that, right. when, when videos are suggested to you, I think that's kind of how CanCon would work with YouTube yeah. and things like that, that you would just get a few more things local, locally um, put on your algorithm if, if it's not already in place. I'm not sure because I tend to get, um, you know, creators, digital creators from Toronto on my feed all the time for some reason. Uh, I've noticed that recently. So I don't know if that's mm-hmm. already in place or not, but right. um, I definitely see a, a value and a worth in CanCon as long as it doesn't stifle creativity and revenue streams for, you know, uh, independent producers. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, no I was excited to actually talk to a human about that instead of just, again, <laughs> passive right. media consumption. Right. All right. So Anita, you were talking about how we have um, the crimped hair, shiny pants, ski boot carrying most important game designer of all time until we don't. Yeah, and I I think that's really interesting because so one of the things um, that I've talked about in the past in terms of representation is when there when a piece of media tells a story that's pretty tropey and like might be bad for women or marginalized identity. And then at the very end, it flips it. So like a video game example of this would be Braid, right? Where it's this man going to rescue a woman, um, like the damsel in distress. And at the very end, you learn that like, you're actually the bad guy, like that kind of energy. Mm. Um, This is the opposite of that, where you have the whole movie, you actually are like, this is this dope ass female game designer that like is, you know, world revered. And then at the very end, um, you find out that that wasn't true question question mark right. <laughs> we, we don't know what happens um and i think and i was pr- trying to process that because my argument is if you spend 2 hours or 10 with a, a video game or whatever where you're you think that you're just p- saving a damsel i don't really the twist is interesting but it doesn't change the fact that you spent all this time thinking that you were you know this this man was rescuing this damsel i i think it actually i think that my logic is consistent here where like I think it's pretty cool that you spend the whole fucking movie with a female game designer as the like you know world's best game designer and that it kind of bummed me out at the end when you're like oh she's just a nobody but she's not like she is at the end a terrorist a a (laughs) revolutionary not because it's the inception of video games right like is that also a video game like that was the energy that the film ended with right it's like how many layers deep how many how many church focus groups are we going to be going (laughs) how many layers of fake dog fur to pull back and reveal a holster (laughs) i um oh brother <laughs> that was incredible I, oh, the dog metaphor I, was great through the whole movie too that that dog <laughs> just kept carrying bone guns to people it was wonderful um okay speaking of bone guns um for for our viewers who are watching this and not listening bone guns i wore my special tooth necklace Uh-oh. just for this recording amazing uh, it was created by an um I forget who made this but it was a woman that i met that made this like all this like really cool tooth jewelry uh, and I thought it would be appropriate for this. Is that recording. the equivalent of like like dudes wearing like a big piece of like a bullet on a necklace and stuff like that? Yes, <laughs> is exact, now it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but only um, in this is my thread. This is my walking thread. Yeah, of course, understood. Um, the other representation thing that I found really frustrating was the Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, in in the world, you see a sign about the Chinese restaurant, then they send you to, you have to go eat the Chinese restaurant, you have to kill the Chinese server. Um, and I, 
you know, there's nothing wrong with having a Chinese restaurant in a movie. The problem is that, like, it was created to be, like, the foreigners who will eat anything, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm. you know, like, really kind of riffing on that, like, the the kind of horror and way that Americans talk about, like, Chinese eating dogs and, like, dog meat and that sort of thing. It was that same energy where, like, they're serving you this horribly disgusting dish that is, you know, this cute little creature that we just saw a few minutes ago yeah. and then like stuffing it down. And then there's this like, I, I thought the tooth gun was fucking cool. It's <laughs> I was really it's into it. One that of the most creative design. parts of the whole film is the tooth gun yeah. and how you put it together but, for sure. Totally. But that energy, I was like that, this feels wrong and gross. Yeah. And I didn't like that, but the, you know, part of, part of, I think the, the tooth gun and like the, that whole thing I think was great, but also even like the controller, like the practical effects in this, like I love a practical effect, yeah. right? Like I think we, we just so inundated with CGI that like when you do see these practical effects, you're like, okay, this is fun and mm-hmm. cool and interesting. And like, you know, the controller was like extra gross <laughs> because very it's nipply. like biological. Like yeah. very like nubbly and nipply and you just got to like flick it to turn it on. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, so how, how, Yeah. You're like, when, when does the orgasm happen? Yeah. Like, how much do I yeah. need to rub this clit his, before his, I... His thought <laughs> process was probably like, oh, to turn it on, you actually have to turn it on. So yeah. click it, play with it. <laughs> oh, man. But it, um, bop it. Yeah. Bop it, for sure. <laughs> bop it. But it was, like, uh, really just jarring to think of, like, this is puppetry in this movie, and it's 1999. Like, that does feel actually crazy to me, but... <laughs> yeah, I, you know... I can't say it's a good movie, you know, but like, I just, I'm fascinated by it. Like the whole time I was like, what's going to be. And then like the whole, the NPC, the non-player character in the world where you're like, oh, you have to like, you like, this is why I'm like, he doesn't know nothing about video games. Like the NPC, you have to directly address them and you have to say the thing that they need you to say to be able to get through the next checkpoint. Like that's accurate (laughs) to video games. Like little details like that I thought were really interesting. The whole premise of it though, of like they're, you know, they're, you know, like death to Allegra or whatever. And like, there's this like whole underground. I like, that went over my head. I was like, why do they want to kill her? I don't understand because she's like bringing in the future I think it's like also kind of carrying off some of the the censorship that was being pushed through the 80s into the 90s as video games kind of came more and more to the forefront and Mm. were pretty violent. Like you had games like Doom back then and Rise of the Triad and first person shooters really coming around where they were just essentially like you were slaughtering other people. It was our not that that was a new concept, but first person was kind of like the thing coming into the nineties where it was like, you actually, it, it's like you're in the video game. So riffing off of, of that a little bit, you had a lot of, you know, people just like um, in the eighties, there was, uh, it was a lot of the Nancy Reagan, don't do drugs and mm-hmm. gore uh, violence in, in music and video like cop killer. And like, you know, bringing musicians into Congress to sort of argue about well, then you the have the whole Jack Thompson in the 90s right. trying to ban video games. Right. And, and then, you know, they, Columbine happens. They're still and that's trying blamed to do on that. video games. Absolutely. It's yeah. crazy. Video games are always, everyone wants to play video games for everything. It's kind of hilarious, yeah. actually. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yes, there are lots of things around video game culture that are not great, but like, that's not, this is not the way to do, no. 
Um, yeah. So you so you think that that's it's pulling in the that like I think part of that I mean that when you explain him talking it. to Salman Rushdie and the fatwa against him after satanic uh, uh, um, satanic verses is that is that the mm-hmm. book yeah um, uh, I think you kind of merit put those two together and that kind of explains that whole angle as things are taken to the extreme so I get that but I don't like I get that but I also am like but in the game I mean in the movie sorry like the fuck was the premise <laughs> you know like i got like i i get the where it comes from from the world but like in the game i guess the energy is that like she's bringing in this future and the people who are not plugged in are trying to stay organic or whatever right yeah it, it, there was a lot of like it's a sign of the times i feel like was said two or three times and it had to do with the um genetic modification of these animals or some, you know, maybe it was affecting the environment, the ecosystem, like to try to keep technology from ruining biological life, perhaps. I'm meeting them more than halfway there. Yeah, I think you are totally (laughs) too kind to to him about that for sure. No, it's, it's hard to read. I mean, yeah, it's almost like he just had a really cool concept for, a body horror live in video game. And then he tried to fit some sort of a message around it, but didn't quite get there by the end. He kind of, by subverting everything at the end, you're just like, well, what's the point? Are you saying that video games are bad and we shouldn't have them? Or are you agreeing with the terrorists or? Yeah. Right. Well, like what is, yeah. Hard, hard to what, read. Like, what, what are we, what are we walking away from this yeah. movie with? I'd um, like to rewatch the Jumanji movie. now. <laughs> the, the like new Jumanji <laughs> Because there was right. like one thing about this, and you you reminded me when you brought up the Chinese restaurant, is that seeing the twist at the end, nobody had agency seemingly in what character they got to play. Mm-hmm. So like you're a Chinese Canadian guy and you go to this focus group and you go to play a video game and you end up being the guy who works at the Chinese restaurant. Like Willem Dafoe and Ian Holm are talking about like, oh, I can't believe the character I got to play. So... That really reminded me of like Jumanji, which is a little more explained where like, oh, oops, I pressed this button. And I guess that means I have to play the girl or I have to play the, the you know, non-athletic guy or whatever. Um, but yeah, like even that, I was like, I could kind of understand like, oh, my character that I chose made a decision because it was the only decision my character could make. But if I was like, I didn't want to play as this character. I would just turn it off. I wouldn't want to play that. Yeah, like that seems exactly. like the hardest well, entry point. I'm curious what happens to you when you die in the game. Do you get to still watch the game? Yeah, really. Are you yeah. like, like, is there a camera view? <laughs> like, yeah. what's, they just watch the like rest and know what happens. Yeah. It's like Ian a John Malkovich style, you know, where you're just like, all right, I guess I'm. Yeah. And whose who's trajectory are you following? Yeah, exactly. This, I mean, this is, these are some of the holes that we encounter in this plot, for sure. I mean, uh, for someone who's like the most popular game designer of all time and people being thrilled to like try this new game out and it's, you know, a huge privilege and people of all ages, even some, you know, grandfathers who look like they've never played a video game ever. uh, It's kind of just a really poorly designed game. It's not a very good game. You know, if I was a user and, and they took you know, some aspect of, of my look and just applied it to a character that's only in there for five seconds. And I'm like, that's it. Like, can I restart this or is that all I get to play? Like, 
That kind of sucks. Yeah, How much exactly. did I pay for this? What, it, these are fucking roguelikes. Like you spend, you spend all this money making holes in your body, and yeah. then you like die in a minute, and you're done. Yeah. I'd rather Come play on. hit by a car. <laughs> hit by a car. <laughs> I bet that was a reference to Crash because I, I, the whole every time I saw that, I was like, he's just giving a shout out to Crash. He just wants people to watch that movie because not enough people did. Not enough people watch Cronenberg movies in general because they're polarizing. I think right. Like he's I'm super excited. popular. He's done a lot yeah. for Canadian film, and he's done a lot for. Um, you know, body horror in general, but he's definitely niche and he's definitely uh, kind of a cult. He's, he's like Canada's Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. And Paul Verhoeven Absolutely. is treading to this territory with um, Total Recall, which is kind of a similar thing. What is reality? How much can I change? What memories can I put into my head? Uh, and that's going back to, I think it was a Philip K. Dick book that Total Recall yeah. is based on, but you know, like you, like you said earlier, there's, there's tons of references to this in, in literature going back decades. So well, thinking about like Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. which is Verhoeven and like, mm-hmm. that's a movie that is supposed to be, uh, ironic. <laughs> right. And then a lot of the audience doesn't read it that way. And they read it as like a really jingoistic, like, fuck yeah. Like we should be as militarized oh, yeah. as possible. Yeah. And I won. I bet there's like Cronen- the, a section of Cronenberg viewers who are kind of the same way, who get into like the grossness or the violence without seeing the the humor that I think is supposed to be there, at least in this movie. Oh yeah. But it made me excited to watch more of his movies that I haven't seen. And people are raving about Crimes of the Future. I also saw that he made a movie called Crimes of the Future in the seventies. And this current movie is not a remake of his original movie. It is just has the same title. Oh my so god! Like, Are you serious? I didn't even know that. That's so confusing. I kind of love that he's like, "Look, I've been at it for fifty years. <laughs> You're going to yeah. tread some of the same ground." That's amazing. Um, if listeners are interested, we have done several episodes on Verhoeven movies, <laughs> so including the newest Benedetta, which I did not like. Oh, haven't uh, seen that one yeah. yet. Yeah, we did that. We did um, um, cop, cop, cop. Robocop. Robocop, thank cop, you. Cop, cop. Um, cop, someone else, someone else, just yeah. keep saying it, someone will say it. Um, and then uh, we did an episode on Starship Troopers, which is not available anymore for reasons that we will not discuss. Oh, um, wow. But uh, the Ebony- The bugs got it. The bugs got the it. The bugs got it, that's yeah. true. Um, but Ebony had very strong feelings about it being trash and not ironic and just fascist. And, uh, you know, there's like, it's very polarizing. But mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know what we're talking about for home. I mean, I do know why, but... Um, I actually, watching these makes me want to watch more Cronenberg films, um, but like spread out. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like I want to like binge them in a weekend kind of energy. <laughs> that I'm would like, be a I very a dark weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, y'all, we will take a little break and then we'll be back to share some freakouts. If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show, so... Just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. 
Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. I don't know why this looked like I was doing a fucking <laughs> cr- wrong movie. We're literally recording the Johnny Mnemonic episode right after this. Oh, and are so you? my brain is like mixed, and I was about to be like, oh, because there's the religious part of this movie. No, different fucking movie. All right. <laughs> Kat, what are, what are you freaking out about this week? I'm com- or lately? I am completely shifting gears to talk about the uh, Netflix series Heartstopper which is a very sweet romance series about teenagers. Um, I have so many people have told me to watch it. So I've only watched the first couple of episodes. I feel like there is a, a little tr- mini trend happening right now of like uh, teenage gay or queer content that is just like the premise isn't about how hard it is to come out or like it's not one of these like big sad stories. It's just like having a crush wondering if your friend might like you back. Oh, you know, I'm going to meet up with him after the rugby practice. Like, it's just a sweet show. It's based it. on a graphic novel, right? I believe so. And I think yeah, the I think I've writer read a bit of it. is the writer and EP of the series. Um, and it's, it, it's a British set show. It reminds me a little bit of sex education, but without like the kind of, um, it's not as like bombastic as sex education. It's much more just like, scenes of like them the two boys texting each other back and forth and being like thanks x what does the x mean does he is he gonna pick up on like oh uh, and then like delete triple dot delete no problem you know and it's like that sort of thing and i'm like oh it's so sweet it's just really nice and i'm only a few episodes in but by the time this airs i probably will have tweeted a bunch about how cute it is so totally different that's what i'm freaking out about great christian you freaking out about anything yeah, I've got a couple of books. I just realized I'd given the book that I just finished away, but I traded it for another book from the same author. Um, I'm a little behind on this, but Madeline uh, Miller. So I, I haven't read Cersei yet, but yes. uh, I just we finished have had The Song multiple, of Achilles, which is so good. We have had multiple freakouts about Cersei on this podcast. I've read it. You should hit me up when you're done reading okay. it. Okay, I will. It. I will. I'm looking it forward to places. it. goes places. The Song of Achilles yeah, yeah. was awesome uh, because I'm a history nerd and I love ancient Greece and ancient Rome and ancient Egypt and just ancient history in general and getting a really in-depth perspective on like the song of Achilles goes into uh, uh, the siege of Troy and also Achilles relationship. And uh, it's just, it's such a fascinating look at and different perspective than we hear in, in a lot of the sort of stuffier history um, write-ups on, on these, these myths. And uh, I really dig that. And uh, Madeline Miller is just such an evocative writer that um, really takes you there. Really enjoy it. Um, and I'm reading another book right now. Uh, this is very Canadian, so it's kind of CanCon. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a book. It's called The Whisper on the Night Wind uh, by Adam Schultz, S-H-O-A-L-T-S. And it's about a guy who goes up into the wilds of Labrador uh, in northern Canada uh, with a friend in search of a cryptid of like some monster that was attacking people a hundred years ago that there are multiple accounts about. And so they go up into the middle of nowhere to sort of retrace the steps of some of these reports and see if there's some sort of a cryptid up there or what that is coming from, which is like, it, it hits all the things that I love. It's got adventure. I love canoe trips. Personally, I go on them every once in a while with my, my closest buds up in Northern Ontario 
It has a little bit of like mystery with the cryptid stuff, which is just kind of weird and wacky. Um, and it's got like the idea of going somewhere desolate and away from people, which I'm always attracted to, like places on the edge of of civilization mm. in the middle of nowhere where nobody knows you're there. There's something so attractive to that, uh, to me about that, especially in this day and age where everything is just so fucking crazy, especially in a city like Los Angeles. And my other thing that I'm freaking out about is every morning I've started walking for half an hour before I even have a coffee, which is unheard of, but wow. someone suggested that to me. And I just go for a 30 minute walk. As soon as I wake up, I strap on shoes and just get outside and just walk. And it's kind of the nicest thing in the world to do for yourself. I highly recommend it. It's a weird freak out for sure, but, but I'm, I'm into it. Nice. It's good I, for your health. It's for your health people. I have to- been trying to do that too. Like I used to go on really big long walks every morning and I I've tried those. to just be like, yeah. cool, 20 minute, like quick little 20 minute, maybe during lunch, like it. I think it helps with a lot of like depression and just like mm-hmm. malaise and yeah. being stuck in front of a computer all the time. Definitely. Um, now, Anita, I'm excited for yours because I just saw this movie <laughs> yesterday. What is your freak out? My freak out is a letterboxed review about Top Gun Maverick that um, somebody else, not the person who wrote it, posted on Twitter and it just like wildfires. Um, I... So I'm not I'm not going to freak I'm not going to review Top Gun Maverick. Um but well well I go okay whatever. I uh <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Okay. A lot so the in the movie spoilers whatever. Um they are like it's this enemy without a face, right? It's just general yeah. generic whatever. I immediately was like, "Oh, that's Iran." Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just a hundred percent immediately. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. And so, um, but a lot of people were like, "Oh, it's just a generic enemy," and da da da, whatever. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's Russia. And I was like, "No, it's fucking Iran." Like full on. I don't. I can't quite name why, but I know why. And part of it is like global history and understanding <laughs> international relations. And so, um. A lot of people are just like, wow, this amazing movie, blah, 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 blah. This review gave it half a star and was like pages of taking it down. And it's fucking brilliant. I want to read a couple of excerpts. Yes. Top Gun Maverick is a movie where our heroes are trying to start World War III. The U.S. military is selecting pilots for a bombing run over an Iranian nuclear facility near completion, one which was built quote unquote, in violation of an internationally recognized treaty. This, of course, is the exact opposite of what happened in real life. The U.S. violated the JCPOA agreement with Iran and the Iranian government continued to obey it even when we no longer were. Um, It goes on. Like all successful fascist narratives, this movie portrays our enemies as simultaneously all-powerful and extremely weak. To craft a story where our ludicrously overfunded heroes can be underdogs, it is necessary to pretend that Iran has advanced fifth-generation fighters, which are superior to U.S. capabilities. This is brought up repeatedly, regardless of how absurd it is. Yet when our heroes are actually in Iran, all of their pilots have the aim of a blind man. Tom, that's... Uh, a little ableist there. Tom Cruise survives a uh, 50 caliber machine gun right in front of him by taking cover behind a dead log. The 50 caliber bullet is designed to penetrate an armored truck engine. Anyways, it goes on and on, <laughs> just like calling out all of these details. It's fucking brilliant. Um, I've gotten to several arguments with people who are like, I just don't see it. And I'm like, cool. I, and I, I feel like past me, uh, was less understanding of like differences of opinions and like would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And this is the one thing that made me actually be like, 
wait, I'm sorry. Like, are you just ignorant? Like, do you not know about global politics? Uh, so I'm going to share the link to this review if anyone else would like to have this conversation with people in their lives and to be able to see this film um, as magnificent as it was in terms of a, like, uh, action adventure. Uh, it is just, like, not only a like two hour commercial for the U S military. It also, all of these little pieces of it, like really kind of undermines, um, is kind of racist is what I'm trying to get at. And like really fucked up in terms of the way that we think about American politics, international politics, the middle East. I'm very excited to read this. I, uh, spent my post Top Gun Maverick viewing explaining to my unwilling friends why each of the men in it had been canceled um <laughs> <laughs> oh shit usually i wait for people to like ask me and but it, instead i was just like well <laughs> guess what he did um and i also just i mean i have a a toxic fascination with tom cruise and knowing that he's someone who had a tom cruise themed birthday party on david miscavige's boat the fact that this movie was entirely made for the audience of tom cruise like he made this movie the movie he would want to see and there's something so fascinating to me about it um also yeah i mean it it's an action spectacle and i like those and there's speech sport playing hot question mark um so i'd like to be able to talk about this movie and know anything other than just like explaining to my friend who hadn't seen the original like well instead of Iceman, it's hangman and instead of goose it's rooster but it's and the it same is movie. not gay <laughs> at all there's no gay they just stripped all the gay out of this movie, which I knew that they would, but mm-hmm. that was also yeah. bummer. Uh, we should, I mean, I don't know why we didn't do a whole episode on this. I movie. think you okay. definitely should do a whole, I, you I, I, do I, a whole episode on both films. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> Absolutely. On both. That is our show for today. Thank you, Christian, for joining us. Where can people Thank learn you. more about you? Uh, on the socials at Mr. Christian Brune. Um, Christian Brune wasn't available like the regular, just the name. So I had to add a Mr. to it and it sounded a lot less douchey than the Christian Brune. So <laughs> at Mr. Christian Brune. Two U's in Brune. Christian with a K. I wonder if... That's it. Uh, it's, I wonder if, if the other Christian Brune is Norwegian in Norway and you could just like hostily take it over. I looked into it. He's Danish in Denmark. And oh, Danish. apparently it's illegal. Oh, you can't take... do that. No, I can't. The Danes are mean. <laughs> Danes are mean. No, apparently it's illegal to like offer to take someone's Instagram handle or something like that. I don't know. It's very it's illegal very strange. By Instagram? Maybe it's like I think so. I don't know. I looked into because huh. I was like, well, is there any way I could ask him if I could have that name and he could go with something different? Like I asked a PR person that I was working on a project with and they're like, actually, it's illegal to do that. I was like, what? That doesn't I sound right. Think, I don't think, I think that's true. I think you I think need their a new point PR was, I know. I think that the, their <laughs> thing was they thought I was going to like offer to pay him for his mm. handle. And I People do that shit all the time, like legal or not. People do that shit all the time. I mean, I I don't care that much about it, but I was just like, ah, slap a mister on there. And it goes with the mustache right now. So slap a mister. Just slap a a mister, people. Slap a mister. It's what we do here at Feminist Frequency Radio. (laughs) Good. Good. (laughs) 
Good. All right, y'all. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. You can find me at Anita Sarkeesian and all the things if you can figure out how to spell my name. I'm Kat Spada, and you can find me at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina on Twitter. And be sure to follow Feminist Frequency on all of the socials at FemFreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our guest, Mr. Christian Brune. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you like our show, help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. <laughs>